One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. We are doing a Friday follow-up Thursday for you both with Kim and Tess. Tess was our most recent episode in episode 74 um, and Kim also was on the podcast who came on in episode 61 and 62. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to come together and bring this all together because you both referenced each other in your episodes. And I think one of the key things that I wanted to talk about today was um, what it's been like for both of you and having each other now as survivors of the same offender and having somebody go through this experience with you and building this survivor community kind of thing. I think it's been super helpful having each other. I think the first night that we we're able to reconnect and talk on video chat. I think Tess, you said like, I, this is going to be my new best friend tonight. And it's kind of been that way. Yeah. And I think like that first night, like I was real nervous getting on the video chat to talk for the first time, but like we started at like, I don't know, nine o'clock or something. We were on till like two or three in the morning. Like, and it, yeah, like she said, we've been in constant contact since then. That's beautiful. Um, and when we like reference your stories, so when you say that you jumped on the video chat the first time, was that like, was it following the offender going to prison and that kind of thing? Or was it when you went back to when you were finishing up your law degree and then you went and you shared your story on the news and then did, did Kim reach out? How did that kind of come to fruition? So it's actually kind of crazy. So we actually talked once on the phone, I think, um, right after um, the person that offended us went to I think he had just been arrested I don't even think yeah he just been arrested um so we talked on the phone briefly one time but I I don't know did we talk after that Kim 
It was probably once or twice. It was somehow I knew like a friend of a friend of a friend knew your dad. And somehow I got your dad's information. And then somehow you actually, I think you actually called me. And I'm like, wow, this like 14 year old girl's calling some random 20 some year old. And we talked a little bit and I think we were trying to make a plan to meet up and it kind of just fell through and we lost touch from there. So. And then, like I was saying before, like when I was graduating law school, like my dad was like, by the way, this news person to talk to you. So I met with the news people first, I think. And then they were going through a file and they found Kim, but they didn't know that I talked to her before. And so then they reached out to her and then they reconnected us. Yeah. So I was a part of the big lawsuit with USA Gymnastics. And they found um, I was listed as KB Doe in that case, and it but it had the name of the offender. So they looked up the offender, and then they find Tess as a victim that was he was convicted of abusing. So I think the news kind of thought we were the same person at first, because I remember Tess, you saying they kept trying to get you to talk about what was in my my case, and and you have to keep explaining we're different people. And so then when they came to me and said we we found this other victim. I go, is it Tess? And they were like, yeah, how'd you know? And so it kind of just brought us back around full circle. Yeah. And then we went on a deep. So following that, then um, I ordered my file. And then from there, we were able to go through it and find more of us. So we've actually connected with more people um, that were hurt by the same person. So it's, it's been wild. Yeah. And just so many of like things just perfectly aligning for us all to come together. Um, When David Bird was first arrested, I went and did just a little local news piece and then and it just aired in the town that I lived in. And then we've come to find out later one of David Bird's victims just happened to have saw the news that night. And I can't remember if she was in town from out of state or had just moved back from out of state and just happened to see it. And that's what got her to call the police and to try to help Tess's case. And that helped her to disclose her abuse really for the first time. Yeah. And it kind of is a bit of a scary thing as well. As wonderful as that experience is, I wonder if there are other people who have moved away and who potentially haven't seen it, who are also victims of the same offender or of similar crimes. And they can hear somebody else speaking about it and go, okay, maybe I can come forward about it. Um, But that's the purpose of doing things like this and and the work that you're both doing. And I've referenced that we've, we've referenced it in, in the episodes that we've done with you and I've been posting about it on social media, but do you mind talking a little bit about the work that you're both doing with the, the reform to law in Kansas? Yeah. So we're working um, with some Kansas uh, legislators to remove the statute of limitations for child sexual abuse. The group started about four years ago, but Tess and I just joined in last year It initially started um, to just remove for civil um, cases. And, you know, I never really had a great answer why we weren't going for criminal as well. And I was talking to the senator we're working with. And I guess here in Kansas, the laws, it's so confusing. There's different statute limitations for different crimes. Um, They removed the statute limitations for rape back in 2013, but not for all criminal offenses. So this year we finally got the go ahead to. Um, and everybody on the same page that now we're going for both civil and criminal. Um, 
And that would just be amazing. I mean, that would, so if our bills were to go through for civil, um, anyone who's been abused from 1984 on would be able to file a civil suit against their perpetrator or against an institution that helped enable their perpetrator. And for criminal, due to some other issues and stuff with, with the way the Kansas laws are written, um, we wouldn't be able to go back in time on crim- criminal, but at least for this from this day on, as soon as that gets passed, which, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take anything we can get right now. That's at least a step in the right direction. That's one of the things that, you know, everybody has differences of opinion on, but one of the things that Kim and I have been, you know, fighting for is like, this isn't just about the past. Like we're trying to protect everybody going to the future so that if there are more cycles and people in situations like us, that A, we prevent them because, you know, as you get older and people are more comfortable disclosing, then we're going to spread the knowledge about who is a perpetrator and who has hurt people and prevent them from hurting more people going into the future. Um, So we're just, we're trying to protect not only hold people accountable from the past, but protect everybody going forward. And Tess, do you have any insight, I guess, with your background of law into why you wouldn't be able to do that criminally retrospectively? Because I know, for example, I think in California, they've put that, is it in California, they've put the 12 month Thing into place that if you have been abused by an institution that you can come forward criminally for that. Um, and I think they've done it, is it in New York as well? It was just like a, a bulk thing where you could come like forward. Like a look back a, window? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. you could come forward criminally. Like is there something like that on the cards or what? What? what is it around that just so the listeners can kind of understand maybe a little bit? It's, a, it's pretty complicated, but basically what it comes down to is there are certain constitutional rights you have um, in the criminal process that you don't have in the civil one. Um, and so you can't use a statute to take away those rights once they've already been vested. Um, so that, that's why we can't go back further with that. It sounds, didn't they say it would have to be like a constitutional amendment to get the uh, criminal to go backwards? That and the for the civil to go back farther as well. Um, there would have to be a constitutional amendment, which would require um, a whole bunch of things, including the whole state voting on it. Um, so, you know, we would love, absolutely love for that to happen. But, you know, like I said, we'll take what we can get right now so that we can start helping people immediately. Oh, absolutely. And I think everything that you're doing is obviously leading in that right direction. Because as we discussed in both of your cases, I mean, we we already know through so much information that we've done on studies in multiple countries, that people who are victims of sex crimes and specifically child sexual abuse victims from institutions, their reporting is on average 35 to 45 years. In in most countries, the data supports that. And when you've got a statute of limitations that just stops that of a factor of 10 before that they've even gotten to that point, you're completely removing not only for the victim to be able to civilly sue or criminally charge or have their day in court and the justice for themselves. But it is that this offender is being greenlit by a system that is preventing them from being held accountable for something that they've done. And in your case as well, I mean, for both of you, it was somebody who's done this multiple times before. Yeah. Yeah, And what's really interesting about that is, um, so we spent a lot of time talking to lawmakers in the last couple of weeks, especially. Um, but one of the questions that's come up a couple of times is like evidentiary. So like, 
are these claims going to be valid if they can't be brought for 30 years or something like that um, when they are finally brought? And they're like, what is it? Is there any point to it if there's no evidence? Um, and so one of the things that we've been kind of focused on is like, again, this isn't just going backwards. Like, yes, that may be a little bit hard in the past, um, but that's again why we have prosecutors who get to decide if cases have enough, you know, to go forward. Um, but that going into the future, I mean, with technology, I know we talked about before, um, like there's evidence everywhere of all kinds. Like there's cameras everywhere. There's people posting on all different kinds of social media that's going to exist in the future. So that's something that we just need to keep educating people about that. It's not just about right now. It's about everybody going forward. And again, I think with Tess and I's example, you know, we work are kind of rare in the sense that um, I disclosed fairly early on. Um, You know, I told a coach and luckily someone saw that I had told a coach and it got reported. But, you know, my I did do a forensic interview with law enforcement, all within the statute of limitations. And yes, the DA decided they didn't have enough to prosecute. But then by the time that they did arrest our perpetrator in Tess's case, they if there wasn't a statute of limitations, they they could have used all the information and evidence they had from my case to help build on the ta- the case that they had with Tess, um, which could have drastically increased his sentence that he served. Um, it would have also kept the weight of the case from being just on Tess. I mean, there were multiple of us in the courtroom that day. They all could have contributed to that, but because of the statute of limitations, none of that could be included. Yeah, it's that similar transaction kind of evidence to to show that somebody's got this propensity for it's not a one-off thing and it's building the case that this is something they've done before and the importance of that. I think also it's interesting and and it's something that I like discussing a lot is the myth that um, if it is a historical case, you won't have evidence. And I think in many cases, we've all suffered under the CSI effect where you think that, you know, Horatio Kane with the sunglasses is going to see a hair from 20 metres away kind of thing and there's going to be a follicle on the end and then the DNA is going to magically appear in 20 seconds. We know that that's not how it works, but I know multiple people who have been through this system and who have had historical cases. Sarah Moe, for example, one of them, was on this um, podcast and shared her story about a case that was 40 years ago with her father. And the interesting thing for me is that when they say you don't have evidence, it is undermining the victim's experience as a witness and as somebody who's bringing forward their own experiences. It comes down to corroborating a story, in my opinion. So if you can corroborate times and events and the consistency of behaviour is coming through, you can build that case. And, you know, in your case, Tess, as well, like if if they had have gone back and for you as well, Kim, and interviewed other people, if they'd gone in and investigated the offender further, they might have found more people as well. So it is about building a case rather than just looking at it as if, if there isn't DNA there, that it's not going to be, there's not going to be any evidence. I've actually been communicating back and forth with Judge Rosemary Aquilina. She was the judge who sentenced Larry Nasser, um, the most horrific pedophile doctor in sports history. Um, and she's actually writing us a statement for our legislation. And one thing I love that what she said is that the purpose of the statute of limitations is to protect would-be defendants from unfair legal action. 
primarily arising from the fact that after a significant passage of time, key relevant evidence may be lost, obscured, not retrievable, and memories of witnesses may not be clear. The statute of limitations is a safeguard against unfair trials and other legal actions. However, the statute of limitations on sexual assault cases fail to recognize that the victim is the key evidence. It assumes that the evidence has been lost when in fact the evidence has been found. The victim is the evidence. To not honor the trauma and time it takes victims of childhood sexual assault to come forward is to re-victimize, re-traumatize, and deny victims the right to reclaim their their life and power. So I think that's kind of a great statement to show, you know, the victim is the evidence. Um, And, you know, when we're looking back, you know, again, if we're looking back at all cases, I think, you know, law enforcement, lawmakers might think like, oh, there's no evidence because there's no DNA. But if you have 10 women that are all saying the same thing over and over, at some point, you have to recognize that is evidence. That is some that's something to to believe and to to hold true. Yeah, it's building a, a profile of behavior of consistency. And especially when you've not communicated with each other and you're telling the, basically the same stories, I mean, it is evidence. And when you just read that, I mean, I got full body chills. I nearly cried just then. Like um, what a beautiful and succinct way to advocate for victims of child sexual abuse. And she has done an outstanding job in her judgeship to be able to give voices back to victims. And, you know, I'm sure that you both probably were very emotional, but um, when we saw all of the victims of Larry Nassar, not only the ones that went through with the, that were able to have their prosecution heard, um, be able to speak to that. um, I think that was one of the most powerful moments, Uh, like especially a woman doing that, a woman who is in a position as a judge, giving voices back to victims. I mean, I couldn't, what's her name again? Uh, Judge Roseberry Aquilina. Okay. We need to do it. It's been like a total, a total fangirl moment. The fact, so I've just been messaging with her back and forth on Facebook and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's actually taking the time to respond to me. And then I've asked her like, Hey, is there any way we could send this to these 10 lawmakers and email it to I'm like, or if you want, you can just send them to me and I'll make sure it gets dispersed. She's like, no, I want to do it to make sure that, they can't deny seeing this. That's been pretty amazing. Like, how's it been for you as well? Like Tessa, you're like furiously nodding ahead as you're listening to that. What was it like, I guess, hearing that just then for for you? Have you heard that before? Yeah, I'm, it's such a tricky thing because this week, like we get some amazing support and some amazing statements from people in crazy high positions like 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 that's amazing that we're getting that support um but like I also sat in a senator's office and his first question was um well what are you what do you think about the possibility of all the false accusations and cancel culture and I just like I saw red for a moment like I had to take a deep breath before I got to answer him I'm like that's what you're worried I'm worried about people little children being sexually abused you're worried about cancel culture like are you serious so it's it's such a roller coaster of emotions, but like I'm I'm so glad we have the positive support, and I hope we can just keep growing that um, and educate people that aren't quite there yet. Yeah, and that is just an ignorant statement and question to ask. I mean, I've spoken about this before as well, and it's worth touching on here. The 
the rate of false accusations or this rate of false accusations in inverted commas is not, it is a fallacy. Okay. There's no data to suggest that there are people who are falsely accusing because the statistic of false accusations in different countries, it varies. It is an estimation and it's not based on the number of people who have been found guilty of perjury, who have been found guilty of um, falsely accusing somebody. They've not been through a process where they've been found guilty of that. So this could be, and the likelihood of this is that most people who have withdrawn a statement to police and the police's opinion is that they were falsely accusing at that time will be drawn into some kind of statistic and that is the information that is coming forward. So it could be the fact that they didn't have enough evidence. It could be the fact that they were in danger and they've withdrawn their statement. There's a number of things under the umbrella of what people would constitute as a false allegation, but it is not that. So I just question whether people do falsely accuse. I know that there is a possibility and a probability that that does occur. But when people ask that question, they're asking it out of ignorance because they've seen a statistic once and they're worried that people are going to be falsely, number one, accused, and number two, um, go uh, through the criminal process and be charged of that. But again, if you look at that statistic and you look at the data of what that's saying, less than 10% of all child sexual abuse cases in Australia specifically are actually going through the courts and getting convictions. And even if they do, some of them are getting non-custodial sentences. So I query what your what the worry is here, because even if somebody was in Australia, for example, to be convicted of a child sex offence, like they were with Jen's case, her grandfather was convicted of two counts of molestation and he got a non-custodial sentence. It was time served, basically. He didn't get anything. So, you know, when people say stuff like that, I just, I see red exactly the same way you do because it is an ignorant statement and they've not made any effort to do any pre-reading or investigations of their own before asking a victim of crime a stupid question. Yeah. And then another one shortly after that asked, well, but why, why pursue it at all? Like, isn't it just re-traumatizing you? And isn't it, is it worth it at that point? And we're like, yeah, we want our agency back. Like we, this is our, this is our we want to have control over our lives again. We want to hold these people accountable. And he's like, but are you sure? Well, and again, I feel like our, our number one, I always tell people there's two goals of this. Number one is to protect kids in the future. So yes, it's worth it to protect future kids. And, and number two is to, yes, provide justice for survivors. But I think the order of those two goals is what's most important. You know, yes, it can be a little bit, it can be re-traumatizing, but if that means it's saving another child from being traumatized, totally worth it. And I think for me personally, like, I feel like I've felt the best about what happened to me these last two years that I've been coming forward and sharing my story and not being afraid who knows and afraid who what to say something to. I don't know. For me, information is healing and like getting Tessa's police report was I mean, that was obviously a very emotional day, but like it was combined with like super amazing to be able to get all these, all this information. And then also super frustrating that I can't get my own because of, again, statute limitations, because my, my abuser, our abuser was never convicted of abusing me. I can't get my police file or because I 
don't have an open civil case because I can't have an open civil case. I can't get my police file. So sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. No, please. I think we're all very fired up. It is a topic that should fire more people up. And I, I, I respect that. I mean, I went on tangent two seconds ago, so I feel you. Um, but I mean, as well, it is again, just ignorance. Why are you questioning whether it's worth it for a victim to come forward about a crime that was committed against them? Why are you questioning this process? Like, and it, you know, Kim, for you to just articulate that then as well, like you don't have these, you you get to celebrate in the wins of other things, but you're still trying to fight for your own right to have different things as well. And it's just so frustrating to me because it's just like, as well with what you just said, Tess, with, with them asking that question about whether or not it's worth it for you, understand that this is a step that you're voluntarily taking you're choosing this for yourself within your own right because this is what you want. And majority of victims, survivors of child sexual abuse do not do that. The The rate of people coming forward to police in the UK, America, and Australia is 14% that we know of. That is a known statistic that has ambiguity within it, but it's 14%. So why are you questioning the 14% who are choosing to come forward? I mean, I know that, Kim, you said as well that there was another girl who was abused before yourself even, and she still doesn't, this is not an avenue that she wants to take. It's just articulating that to people. And I don't, I don't know, the frustration is just do read an article, dude, like read a book before you ask people stupid questions, you know, educate yourself. It's just ridiculous. Well, and opening up, removing the statute of limitations, it's not requiring any victim of of abuse to go through a trial or to go through, to go to court, et cetera. It's just allowing those that want to the chance to. Um, I think one thing that's important, you know, at least here in the States, um, with a criminal proceeding, it's not the choice of the victim. It's the DA's choice if they file a case or not. With civil, it's completely the choice of the victim whether or not they choose to to file. So again, it's just giving the opportunity to those who want to, um, and the burden is still on the victim. You know, it's someone can't just file a case if there's nothing to back it. You know, a judge or you know criminal jury, someone still has to give, you know, say there's merit to it to be able to have actually something actually go through. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I just find it interesting within people's perspectives on these types of crimes. I mean, child sex offenders are, as we well know, targeted in places like um, prisons and things like that. So people are like, oh, child sex offenders are the worst type of offenders and men everywhere get all raged up and they want to beat them up and they want to kill them. And they're like, let's, you know, that's their mindset towards this. But when you talk about bringing one of them to court to arraign them, that seems to be less of a thing. It's like once they're convicted and once they're in prison, they're like, bring it on. We're going to kill him. We're going to torture him. We're going to do anything that we want because he deserves justice. They're the worst offenders. Where's the advocacy here for that level to say we're allowing people to come forward to bring these perpetrators out of the weeds, bring them to trial and send them away? Like, And I don't condone violence in any way. I just find the culture around it very interesting that, you know, you t- t- flip the setting into a um, prison and or you discuss a known sex offender like Larry Nassar and people are like, oh, he's going to have a horrible time in prison. I hope that he is abused things like that. But then when it comes to the people coming forward and trying to bring them to trial, I I just don't understand the dichotomy between those, both of those things. Cause it seems like people really want to almost say, you know, what about their rights? What about this? What about that? You know, we don't want to, you know, what, isn't it more traumatizing for you? And it's just like, yeah. Does that make sense? But I think some of it too, is there's a lot of misconceptions. I mean, lawmakers that were even working with on this thought that there wasn't a statute of limitations for criminal child sexual abuse. If you ask random people on the street, a lot of people don't realize this. And I think it's a lot of people think it's just common sense. Like, yeah, you shouldn't get a get out of jail free card just because you made it past five years, et cetera, you know, especially for the criminal. Um, You know, I think people have had less of an ability to argue against the criminal side than they have with the civil, but sorry guys, I'm sick. Oh, sick about this. I thought that you were getting sick. Sorry. No, I, I am like, I'm, that's why I keep running off of screen. Um, (laughs) like, I love that everyone is all other people get to like heal and feel better when they talk about it makes like, I'm going to have a migraine and then I throw up every time I talk about it. And so I'm, I am so glad that we're doing this because it's so important and I'll keep doing it, but trauma hurts. Yeah, absolutely. 
And it's so difficult to to see somebody going through that as well. I mean, from my end, I'm just, I'm looking at you like wanting to hug you. We're like in different, on the other opposite side of the world. Um, <laughs> but I know, you know, it's a sense of pride that you have to do this, but um, it does, it, it takes a very serious toll. It does. But, I'm, you know, the goal is to make sure that other people don't have to do this for the rest of their lives. One of the things um, that I posted at the beginning of your episode, Tess, was the recent news article that came out. Um, and it was pretty amazing to see kind of what's happening um, in a wonderful way. Again, I understand what you're saying there. It's kind of, you know, it's double-edged sword. Um, but do you mind talking about where it's gotten to at this point and and how people can help to push this removal of statute of limitations yeah so right now um they're putting the final revisions on the bill um they said it should be introduced either by monday i think the schedules are a little crazy um but that should be introduced and then so what we're really trying to push for is just for everybody to reach out to um the legislators especially those on the judicial committees um to help push them and encourage them to call it for a hearing first, um, but then make sure that we can get it to the floor and get a vote on it so we can get it through and get it passed this year. So is that the process you you raise it, the bill comes forward, and then what's the, the first step? They kind of raise it on the floor of the of parliament? So it goes to, um, we're starting it on, we have two sides. So we're starting it on both the Senate and the House. Um, and basically it goes into a committee and if that committee um, brings it up for hearing and then it goes through the hearing. And if they say yes to it, then it goes to the whole floor of that side. Um, once it goes through that whole side and it gets approved, then it goes to the other side. Um, and so it'd go either through the House or Senate. We're working both directions to try and get, you know, as much momentum as possible. Um, so that's kind of where we are. So first step is making it to getting it into the committees um, and getting a hearing called is really what we're pushing for right now. That's amazing. So you're in a process of like getting this all kind of drafted. And I think this is not the time to to pull off the accelerator. This is the time to push it down. It's not to say you've already got this momentum, you know, we're in a great place. It's to say, this is really important that everybody listening takes the time to simply email all of those people that we've listed um, to sign the petition that I've got in the link tree, which is in my bio of my Instagram. And it's in the show notes of every episode as well. Um, because these are the times that we really need to put the pressure on. We don't want to, it to get missed amongst other things that are important, obviously, but this needs to be, this needs its time. Exactly. And we do have like a short, I don't remember what the dates are, but I think it's at the end of February where we have to have things pushed through. Um, otherwise they get stuck and they don't go anywhere for the whole year. So we, we're still on a pretty tight deadline, but you know, we've got upcoming press conferences. So if you can, if you're local and you can attend those too, um, that's always helpful too. Wonderful. And how can people, um, maybe know when to attend those things? If So if somebody is a local to the area, how would somebody um, be able to support in that way? So we're kind of in the, we've, our group keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so we're kind of in the process of trying to get like more of like a formal database. But if somebody is interested in helping, if you could just send me or t- send Tess an email and we'll get you on a list that we're going to try to start um, sending information out anytime something comes up. And again, some of these things, we get real short notice. I think we have a press conference tomorrow. 
um, that we just found out about yesterday, maybe the day before. I can't even remember. So it's kind of last minute, but we're just really trying to roll on momentum. Um, we recently here in Kansas had a four-year investigation done by our KBI into um, abuse in the Catholic Church, and it's come out that there's been you know, hundreds of victims that were abused and how only 30 cases have been able to be forward on, forwarded on for possible criminal prosecution due to the statute of limitations. So I think that's really raised a lot of, gotten a lot of attention, raised a lot of flags within the state that um, we're trying to use that to help get momentum to see that this really is an issue. You know, I think that the Senator kind of that's been in charge of this, she said, you know, a lot of legislators used to think like, oh, it's just a few people, it's just a few perps out there, but this is a, it's a big issue. It's widespread. Um, And statute of limitation reform is not, and it's not a small thing. Um, federally, tests you can you know the laws better than me. Um, they're working federally to get statute of limitations removed, um, but again, that's for federal cases. So we still have the state level, and you know I believe 17 other states have already removed all criminal and civil statute of limitations. Some have removed one side, but not the other side. Um, we're working. We have a new friend now that we're working with from Iowa and. You know, they've removed their criminal statute limitations, but their civil statute limitations is one year from the time they turn 18. So by the time you're 19, you have to file a case. So it's just insane to me how every state has such drastic differences in rules. So um, one thing I think is important, I think it's important to get every state on board because, you know, we don't want pedophiles to have anywhere that they can go and hide. And so I've been very active with emailing legislatures throughout the country um, whenever I see that there's statute of limitation reform bills out on the plate, because to me, getting um, the laws changed in any state can also help my state. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other important thing of that is is that you're going off momentum that other people have built. In many, like you're you're not. This isn't the first time this has been raised, and that's not in any mm-hmm. way to say that you're not working your asses off. I mean, it's also worth actually overstating the fact that this isn't your job. You are both parents, you are both, you know, have lives outside of this and you are both dedicating every inch and ounce of advocacy and everything within you to be able to change this. And I I really admire that. And I think it's calling out that to get this stuff changed is costing a lot for both of you in terms of just even your time. But as well for other people listening, if you are in a different state and your state does have these statute of limitations, that they can build off what you are doing. You know, the bill that you're going to bring forward is going to have that language in there. You're going to have the previous arguments. You're going to have the statement from the judge um, that you can utilize in your own argument. So if it is to raise a bill in the state that you live, you can come off this momentum that you've both built. Anyone out there needs help. I would, you know, I'd love to talk to anyone about, you know, coming up with testimony to help with this. If you need someone to speak, um, you know, I, I kind of worry for myself. I feel like I'm on this, like we've got the ball rolling, things are going in place and I know I'm getting my hopes up and I'm just, I feel like if it doesn't go through, I'm just going to be crushed. But um I don't know. We'll see. Tessa's given me that look because she's already seen me go up and down on the roller coaster. I think things are going so great last week at the press conference. And then everyone just hit me with the realities of how much more there really is to do. So 
There's a lot to do, but you, like you said, we've got good momentum um, and, you know, we can't give up hope. There's still, it's still early to do that. I did have one reporter ask me like, so are you guys doing this now because of the KBI report that came out? And I was like, well, no, we've been, our group's been working on this for four years and the same press conference last year, like that's helpful for our case, but no, we didn't, we aren't just starting this out of the blue because that report came out. Right. So hopefully it goes through this year. Um, But if it doesn't, then we'll be back again next year. Absolutely. And this is the power of communities like this with survivors everywhere. Not, Not only survivors, but people just being generally outraged that you can't hold a child sex offender to account criminally or civilly. You've got these limitations. It's just ridiculous. And I think, you know, if it wasn't to go through, the community outrage would be there. And again, this is the time to put the community's, you know, gas on the pedal kind of thing to say, let's all get behind this because the collectively coming, like I'm from Australia, I'm emailing, I'm going to, I'm coming in, you know, like, because it's important to do that. And that's not to take away from anything in my country or anything like that. It's a two second thing that you can do to support something that will change lives. And I think it's just something to remind people of if you're sitting down on the, you know, you're scrolling on your phone or you're watching a show on Netflix or something it literally, you just have to copy the message that Kim, you drafted. And I put that in the show notes for Tess's episode, just copy and paste that into an email. You can just BCC every single person's email address that we've got there, send it to them all as once, add it in two seconds done. And then back to the show. Like it's, it's so simple, but this groundswell of information, because you imagine if hundreds and thousands of people start to come forward and email these poor people, they're going to go like, oh, we can't deal with this. <laughs> so we better change it because clearly it's what the community wants. Yes, for sure. Um, I know I've been blasting emails. I've been emailing anyone in the state I can think of. People like to make fun of me because Gmail used to only let me send out 500 emails a day, but apparently I, that's been up to like a thousand that I've been able to send out recently. So I've got this massive database but, you know, whatever it takes. And I think, you know, even if this doesn't pass this year, I think the fact that we've been working on this and we've had so many news pieces coming out, we've had so many more um, survivors of abuse that have reached out and ha- are telling their stories and that are coming forward. Um, in our last press conference, um, the senator working working on the legislation, she had a collage of several victims that have come forward. And she said, this collage is already outdated. I've had more people come forward since we printed it saying that, you know, they were abused and they want to help as well. I know just on my personal Facebook page, I've had people reach out to me and say, Hey, I, I saw your story. Um, I searched you out to find you to be able to talk to you about this. And that's great. Like I want to talk to anyone, everyone that wants to, I guess like as some final thoughts, is there anything that you wanted to go over together Right now, I think, you know, it's just, it's incredible the work that you're doing and poor thing Tess is not well, obviously it's worth stating that it is take, it does take this toll. And I just want people to know how much you're both actively giving to, to make this change. Um, But yeah, are there any final thoughts that you want to go over or any calls to action additional that we can do to support this? Yeah, this is slightly off topic, but I feel like it's important with Tess and I that, um, helping to parents to educate their children. Um, I think a lot of people 
you know, I have a lot of friends who assume like, oh, my kids would tell me anything. They would tell me if something were going on. And I think parents need to realize is your kids are not necessarily going to tell you if something's happening. My So my coach, he was fired for sexually assaulting three young female staff at my gym. And, you know, my parents kind of had their radar up and they kept asking me over and over, has he done anything ever to you? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, I still want to go to his birthday party next week. Let me go to his birthday party. Um, you know, that I was not going to tell. Um, I ended up writing a letter to a different coach and it was more like a diary kind of thing that I was writing. And I think I, and I did eventually send them, but my mom found it. Um, and that's how, you know, I would have never come forward to my parents and told them. Um, I even, you know, I came from home from camp and that was kind of where my most severe incidents happened. And I told my best friend what had happened and you know, we're both 12. We, neither one of us could really comprehend the magnitude of what had happened to me. And that was just kind of it. I told her and there wasn't nothing ever happened from that. Um, and then Tess, you told your best friend and you had a very drastic different outcome. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked, told my best friend the night that it happened. And I think I was still in shock. Like I didn't really mean to tell her. It just kind of came out. Um, and she was like, you're telling your dad or I am. And I was like, okay. Um, so that's the only reason I, I mean, I guess you could call it telling. I wasn't like, I wasn't meaning to tell the police or tell my parents or pursue anything. I was just in shocks, shock as a teenage girl trying to figure out what the heck just happened. Um, and I just am got very lucky to have a friend that was that knew that it, what I needed to do. Amazing job to her parents to have taught her that, you know, I think that's one thing as parents we need to do is as, not assume that our kids will tell us, but to tell our kids, tell if something ever makes you feel uncomfortable, you like, yes, of course you can tell mom and dad, but tell anyone, you know, tell a teacher, tell a friend, tell an aunt, uncle, coach, um, school counselor, anybody like tell somebody and keep telling until somebody listens. And then also teaching our kids that if someone ever tells you that someone's making them uncomfortable, that someone's hurting them or something doesn't feel right, that you don't have to keep that secret with your friend, that it's okay for you to also tell, you know, tell me, tell, tell another adult, tell someone to help somebody because you don't need to keep secrets. If somebody's being hurt, um, that, you're being a better friend to tell and find help for that friend than to simply keep their secret. Um, so I think, I just, I think getting that message out is just so important. I mean, you look at Larry Nasser, um, Maggie Nichols, she, you know, she didn't dic- disclose it to her coach. She was talking to a teammate and her coach overheard it. And then that started the ball rolling on everything. Um, so I think just educating our kids what we what they can do, but not only for themselves, but what they can do for their friends, because their kids tell their are more likely to tell their friends anything than they would necessarily telling their parents. So, oh, hundred percent, yeah. And my experience is exactly the same. I think what I said to the police officers when they arrived, because there was immediate intervention, um, was don't tell my parents. And obviously, I was fourteen. And the innocence of that as well, I don't know if I thought I was going to get in trouble or I I don't know what it was or if I didn't want to worry them. But telling parents is a massive blocker. And if you're relying on that solely, then you're, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And I did mention this, I think, in both of the episodes with you both. Um, I really recommend this book. It's called Joelle Castillo. It's by Joelle Castillo. It's called The Well-Armored Child. And each chapter kind of individually goes through how to speak to people at different ages. And one of them even goes into college age students. 
um, about these types of things. And I think it's an important thing to continually ask yourself the question, am I giving my child enough information to tell me if something happens or to arm them from offenders like this? Because again, in both of your cases, you know, you had things that were going on at home, which is a green light for offenders because, you know, they know that they can potentially get into your lives much easier than they could with somebody, you know, who, who wasn't in those home situations. You know, a lot of the time you said that you're both going through the same grooming tactics and things like that. And it's just important to, yeah, to just remember that this isn't a one-off, one in a million thing that occurs. Pedophilia and people who have a propensity or an attraction to children or people who offend against children are not one in a million. It happens more than people think. And they are not the creepy dude in an alley with a trench coat flashing people. They don't have a sign on their face. If they are successful, they are good with children because that's what they've they've honed their skills. So, you know, I love Jim Clemente is one of my absolute idols, um, former FBI profiler. And he always says, if somebody is spending more time with your child than you are, then that is a red flag. Adults get tired of hanging out with kids. So there are different things that we can learn and consume. Do either of you have any other resources maybe for parents listening that that want to take this up and, and you know, potentially start teaching their children in a different method than they have been? Um, the one that I used for my daughter, I got it on Amazon. Um, it's a book and just you know, started me to register. She was really little. Um, it's My Body and What I Say Goes. And it talks a lot about like what areas of your body are private who are people that you can trust, like kind of different things like that. But it's really good for really young children because it starts, puts that idea in their head without being too graphic. Wonderful. And Kim, did you have any resources yourself or is this something that you've been just through your own lived experiences while having these consistent chats? Just through my own lived experience. Um, also, you know, I worked in child welfare for several years and conducted child abuse and neglect investigations. And just so much of, you know, kids tell other people and just, I don't know. I think just as parents, we need to educate our kids on what they can do, what they can do for others, but also not solely rely that that they're going to tell us. And that's, and that's okay. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, as well, I'll quote, quote Jim Clemente again. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, he always says as well that when we're talking about things like child abuse and having these conversations with kids, it's like teaching them how to cross a busy road. You know, you hold their hand and you walk up to a busy road and you look both ways and you do that with them and you teach them about the dangers of traffic hundreds, if not thousands of times before you allow them to do it on their own. And it's that kind of repetition and consistency that people need to have around these conversations to make it normal, to make it okay. And talking about being safe and consent and things like that does not have to be graphic or sexual. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, in the early stages, it can be um, what you said in your episode as well, Tess, which is if you don't want to hug somebody, you do not have to and setting that boundary. And that's a very innocent way to, to start to discuss these types of topics. So the calls to action for now for anyone listening is to go on, send the email and as well, buy those books or look in to do some of your own research and have these discussions with your children. I think if, if people listening did either or both of those things, then we'd all, we're all going to go to sleep with a very warm heart, knowing that we've, um, we've educated some people today. Absolutely. Yes. 
And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. We truly appreciate it. And any listeners, any help that you can provide as well, we truly appreciate it more than you'll know. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, But yes, thank you both for coming back and having a Friday follow-up. I know it's Thursday evening there and it's getting quite late for you. So I appreciate that you both came on as well. Um, But again, thank you both so much. Um, And we'll definitely be in touch and we'll be sharing a lot of information in the show notes for this episode as well. Um, I'll be popping some information in so that people can reach out and send you an email if that's something that they want to do as well. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.